All right. Thanks very much. Thanks for being here. Um, you know, like like Roger said, we, we appreciate it. It's obviously this is a very important issue um, to all of you, to all of us, um, and it's a complex issue. I think that you'll see not just on the stage tonight with our panelists, um, but uh, when we open it up uh, for you to come up and talk, you'll see that there's not just one or two viewpoints on this. It's not just, uh, it's not as clear cut as anti-gun and anti-gun laws, right? There's a spectrum. And I think the point of tonight is to have a discussion about it and to be civil about it and to, to try to hear that spectrum. So first of all, just going to do a little bit of housekeeping here. Um, let's start by in terms of keeping it civil, let's turn off our, uh, our cell phone ringers, all right? But you don't actually have to turn off your cell phone. If you, if you notice up here on the, uh, on the slide, we have, uh, we have our Twitter hashtag. So if you are a Twitter user and you would like to tweet, and you would like to tweet about this event, if you'd like to live tweet about the event, feel free to do so. Um, the hashtag, as you can see, is uh, WFAE PubCon. And uh, that's true of all of our public conversations. So uh, if you would like to live tweet all of our public conversations, you can know that for the future. Um, as I said, it's a heated issue, but this is a discussion. So everyone in the room, if anyone here listened to Charlotte Talks this morning, um, both uh, Larry Hyatt and Congressman Watt were on there this morning and had a, had a very civil conversation that I thought was really interesting. And we're going to ask you to do the same. We're really interested in hearing your viewpoints on this, but we're going to ask everybody to keep in mind moving the discussion forward. Um, I think that the very fact that you're here in the room probably means that that's what you're here to do. Um, so without me rambling on any further, let me introduce our panelists. First of all, um, sitting on the on the far left here is uh, Congressman Mel Watt. He is the U.S. Representative from North Carolina's 12th Congressional District. Let's give him a hand for being here. Thank you. Congressman Watt was first elected to his seat in 1992. He previously served one term in the North Carolina Senate. And in Washington, Congressman Watt serves on the House Judiciary and Financial Services Committees. He was born in Mecklenburg County. He graduated from UNC Chapitol Hill. And uh, Mr. Watt received a law degree from Yale and practiced law for more than 20 years. And our next panelist is Larry Hyatt, and he is the owner of the Hyatt Gun Shop in Charlotte. Let's give him a hand for being here. All right, uh, Larry Hyatt, the, the business bills itself as America's largest independently owned gun store. It's a family-run business that was started by Mr. Hyatt's late father, William, in 1959. Mr. Hyatt is a graduate of UNC Charlotte and a lifelong Charlottean. He's also a Vietnam veteran and past president of the North Carolina Gun Dealers Association. So we have two people with very good expertise in this issue and on um, different parts of this issue. So just to start with, I think I'm going to start by asking them for their expertise, um, for things that, it, it, less about opinions on it, but first of all, just starting with expertise. And I think we're going to start with, uh, with Congressman Watt. The, the first thing is for about 15 years, more people 
have favored controlling gun ownership than protecting gun rights by about two to one. That's from a, a Pew Research study. And I think we have a slide for that. Um, let's see here. Marshall, can you go ahead and just, just click that button? We got it up there? Perfect. All right. Um, that tightened almost even around 2008. So if you look up there, you can see that at about 2008, we have uh, uh, the number of people that favored controlling gun ownership um, and the number of people that favored protecting gun rights more. That about tightened up right at 2008. And then it's kind of flipped back and forth ever since. But since the two most recent mass shootings in Aurora and in Newtown, we're at the highest surge for favoring, for favoring control since about 2008. And obviously that's come with some other things along with it. Um, President Obama has uh, put forward some proposals for um, putting uh, further regulation on guns. And so the, the first question I want to do is just, just ask Congressman Watt how the climate on gun laws has changed since you've been in Congress. Um, and, and how much momentum do you think new gun laws have now? Well, um, I think uh, gun ownership and um, um, the Second Amendment has been an issue uh, throughout my service in Congress. Um, I was jokingly uh, telling the police officers um, who are here tonight uh, about an experience I had early in my uh, career um, at a town hall meeting. Uh, in which um, uh, I had been come out of a civil rights law firm and been a pretty um, uh, active um, advocate of um, all constitutional rights. And at the town hall meeting up in Salisbury, um, 12 guys came into the town hall meeting in a line and sat in the audience. And at some point during the uh, meeting, uh, they raised their hand and said, um, uh, if you feel so strongly about the First Amendment and the Fourth Amendment and all of the other amendments to the Constitution, um, why don't you feel as strongly about protecting the rights of people under the Second Amendment? And um, uh, I responded uh, at that time uh, that there really had not been any uh, Supreme Court opinions about the Second Amendment and that no um, court in America had ever held that um, there was um, an unlimited right to bear arms um, and that um, if a court ever decided uh, what the Second Amendment really meant, uh, I probably would be as strong an advocate of the Second Amendment uh, rights as I, as I was of the First Amendment rights. And that's kind of how I framed it. Well, after the meeting, they came up to me uh, in a line, and the first guy in the line said, uh, I want you to go back to Washington and tell uh, your colleagues that you've been in a town hall meeting with 12 members of the John Birch Society and that you survived... Uh, the experience. And I kind of chuckled and said, well, if there was any question about whether I was going to survive, I wish you had told me I would have brought my 11 other guys with me, and we could have at least made it uh, an equal experience. So, I mean, that, but uh, for me, this is, this is about um, how you balance uh, a constitutional 
protection. And since that time, uh, the Supreme Court has uh, decided two very important cases that make it clear that there is a right to, uh, to gun ownership uh, and to protecting uh, not only related to the militia, but related to the protection of one's home, right? Um, and so I take that very seriously. Um, but I also uh, am clear that under the First Amendment, the Fourth Amendment, any amendment to the United States Constitution, there are always reasonable limitations on what those words say. I mean, you couldn't have a, a clearer statement about um, uh, one's ability to speak than you have in the First Amendment. Uh, it says that you shall make no laws uh, that diminish the, the right to, to free speech. And uh, notwithstanding that very clear language, much clearer than the Second Amendment, I would, I would submit, um, um, there have been reasonable constraints placed on, on um, uh, the freedom of speech. Um, you can't uh, shout, uh, scream, fire in a crowded theater like this because it would create uh, pandemonium. You can't... Um, um, uh, uh, curse over the airways. You can't um, um, show pornography over the, you know, in certain uh, uh, places. I mean, there, there are reasonable constraints. And, and I think uh, what we're searching for now is what are, what are, what's the definition of the reasonable constraints that can be placed on the Second Amendment uh, just like we've been all of these years searching for the reasonable constraints that, uh, that could be placed on the First Amendment and other amendments to the Constitution. Now, um, the, the shootings in Newtown, in Tucson, in Aurora, I think have, have upped the ante on this. Um, because it has become a much, much broader issue for people uh, when you see little school kids gunned down. Uh, it becomes much, much more an emotional issue. But uh, we've been saying for years that um, uh, shooting is no um, um, uncommon event in most of our neighborhoods um, uh, in fact, the number of gun deaths uh, since Newtown uh, is uh, well over a thousand just in that short interim. Sure. Uh, so, um, but we can't react or overreact to uh, the public sentiment. We still have to do what is reasonable, and we have to do it within the constraints of the first uh, of the of the Constitution. Sure. And, and speaking of, of after Newtown, there's been another effect as well that I want to talk to, I want to ask Larry about. Um, but before I do that, I just realized I didn't tell you the sort of the format for what we're doing here, which is that we're going to start off, I'm going to start off by asking them a few questions. And then you all have your note cards, and we have these, these two microphones up here. And in a few minutes here, I'm going to start asking you to, if you, have, if you have questions or comments or thoughts that you want to share with the group, to come up and form a line in front of these microphones. We're not going to do it yet. 
But um, in, in a few minutes here, I'm going to start asking you to do that. And I'm also going to be taking some of the note cards, um, and, I'll, and I'll be reading the questions um, for, our, for our panelists here as well. So, so that's with that, with that said, uh, let me ask um, uh, Larry, what did you see at your, at your gun shop uh, after Newtown? Well, after Newtown, the emotional effect for the whole country was huge. And uh, anyone who wanted to buy a gun or even thinking about a gun uh, went out and bought a gun. Uh, when President Obama uh, got on the media and said he was going to push for immediate gun control laws, uh, the unintended consequences was probably three years' worth of product was purchased in just a few weeks. Uh, and my interest in this is not just business, but I see so much misinformation. Uh, people who don't like guns, uh, can't stand them, uh, they're not going to take the time to learn the details and the things that are important when you try to pass a reasonable law. And so the laws, instead of being reasonable, they take away gun rights, and they still don't do anything to protect our children. It's just a bad trade. Uh, I'm certainly not saying that we can condone gun violence. We don't want it. Gun industry, gun owners, people that want the Second Amendment, it's crucial to us that gun violence goes down. Uh, we've seen it in 1935, right after Prohibition, when the uh, gunning down of uh, young people, young men, but it was different. It was uh, Italians and Jewish people and uh, Irish people in the uh, alcohol. And they had gangs then. Uh, fortunately, that was quelled and went away, and we didn't have this big gun issue. Today, with drugs and gangs in our inner cities, uh, the shootings, uh, they're constant. Uh, we're looking for ways to stop it, and we keep hearing, ban this, more gun laws, uh, assault rifles, big magazines. But if you actually look at what is going on, Rifles of any kind are the least used in crime. Somebody walking around with a rifle, they might as well have a flower pot on their head because somebody's going to call the police on them. Uh, if a criminal steals his uncle's duck gun and goes and uses it in a, a mass shooting, then the next step is to take the shotguns away. If they use a handgun, the next step is a handgun. So we've got to stop this argument because it's not going to work. We had an assault rifle ban and a magazine ban for 10 years. It did nothing. It wasn't really positive or negative. It just didn't affect the criminals. How do you get a criminal to go into a gun store and fill out a document that he might be denied on? Most just aren't going to do it. Uh, what is the definition of an assault rifle? Uh, how quick can a gun be loaded? If they have a suicidal maniac, what law stops them? Uh, personally, I do not want to see us trade our gun rights uh, for a suicidal maniac that the laws would not stop. But I do agree we need to do something to find the cause of gun violence and do something about that. But I don't think banning any type of guns that are currently legal uh, covers that. Well, speaking of the assault rifle ban, that is one of um, President Obama's proposals. Is uh, the, the exact wording when they released it was to um, reinstate and to strengthen the assault rifle ban. Now, there are a number of things that he's uh, that the administration is presenting, a lot of which are going to go through executive orders. But that's something that would have to go through Congress. So let's ask the congressman: um, Is that now? Is that something? If the assault rifle ban were to come up. Um, 
One, do you see support for that uh, any way that would be able to pass uh, uh, through Congress? And two, is that something that you would support? Well, uh, first of all, let me um, uh, first of all agree with Larry that um, um, while this discussion tonight is about uh, may turn out to be about banning guns, the whole objective here is to reduce gun violence. That's right. That's what the discussion and, and, is about. And if you look at um, probably 80 to 90 percent of what the president um, made proposals about, it was not about banning guns per se as, as it was about how you get at right. there was the background the checks and mental it was, health. It was background checks. It was it was mental health. It was security in schools. It was education. It was the the whole range. So it was a comprehensive set of proposals which um, um, I applauded immediately because it was it was broad and comprehensive. Now, um, and, and before before yeah, we go on I, there, I, so, Larry, that was something that you supported too, right? That's what you were saying. That those the, there were other parts that you said on Charlotte Talks today. Those sort of parts, there was actually agreement between the two of you. Yes, <clears throat> the mental health issue is crucial uh, to the background check. We do background checks on everybody that buys a gun. The sheriff does permits. Everybody that buys a handgun, concealed carry people go through even a more extensive check and fingerprinting. And part of that background check does have to do with uh, mental health. If someone has severe mental illness, um, committed, uh, suicidal, or maybe even dangerous to others, <clears throat> we need to have that in our background system so that we don't sell them a firearm. They can't get through the system. And I was appalled to find out that a lot of that is not being done. Many states have not reported uh, mental health problems to the NICS program, uh, that's a national instant check system that does the background checks before someone buys a gun. Uh, the uh, advocacy, for, advocacy for the mental health, they do not want the people with mental health problems to lose their rights as citizens. Today, uh, uh, one of our panelists, uh, very knowledgeable in the mental health issue with suicides and uh, people that have been committed, uh, brought to my attention that they don't want that information given out. So it's going to be a tough, tough battle because not only do we have the gun issue, but we have rights of the people with mental health problems issue. But with firearms, we've got to get that information in the system. We don't need to know any details. We just need to know yes or no. We don't want to pry on anybody's privacy, but we need to be able to put that in the system. That is one thing that I did agree uh, with President Obama's proposal. And, and I think if you, if you polled uh, not gun control but re, uh, reducing gun violence, you'd probably get 95 or 100 percent um, um, approval. Everybody, gun owners, gun advocates, people who don't own guns, would never own guns, everybody, I've never talked to anybody who would not like to see gun violence reduced. I just, uh, I mean, that, that's, that's a, a kind of a no-brainer. But once you start talking about... Um, uh, so and, we actually have the gun violence uh, statistics that... This is, right, this is, the, this is what we're talking about right here, right? This is the, um, 
the the gun gun deaths in the United States um, of uh, of developed countries. Now, there is one, there's a very small asterisk underneath it, underneath it, which you can't see out there, which is that Mexico is not included on this list, and if it were, it would be um, higher than the United States on there. Um, and it's not included on this one specifically um, because of, the, uh, because of the, the, the violence there right now with, with the cartels. But uh, if I had made the chart, which I didn't, I just pulled it from uh, so, so, Washington Post. So, but the yes, point sorry. I want to make is the, the key here is to reduce gun violence. And one aspect of that is what reasonable constraints you should put on guns. And the question you ask, is the assault weapons ban a viable? One of the problems with the assault weapons ban originally was there was no real good definition of what an assault weapon was. So um, I think police would like for assault weapons to be banned because they perceive that they are more dangerous to the, the police and to the public. And uh, so when you hear the president say reinstate the gun, uh, the, the assault weapons ban and improve it, what he's talking about is how you improve it by better defining what an assault weapon is so that there's, there's there's clarity about uh, what the nature of the weapon is that you are, ban uh, you are banning because right now uh, there's a lot of disagreement about what, uh, what that ban would cover. Okay, yeah, that's, yeah. and that's, that's actually sort of the next point I wanted to move to, which is um, taking a look at the before, – before we do that, though, as a matter of fact, uh, we're going to start taking questions here really, really soon. So I'm going to start asking people to – if you have a question or a comment or something that you want to share, to start lining up. And in just a couple of minutes here, we're going, to, uh, we're going to start taking those questions. So let's go ahead and we'll have some people start, start doing that. Great. Um, right, so that's, that's the next part. Is the, the most common uh, – most common is not the right word, but the, uh, maybe the most notorious at the moment um, of the uh, assault weapons is the AR-15 right now. Right, and that's that's the one that was used um, in in Newtown, Connecticut. It was used in Aurora, Colorado. Um, it was used uh, at a at, at a mall in in Oregon. And a few days after Newtown, it was used to kill two firefighters uh, in upstate New York. Now, um, Larry, what what is it that makes at the moment and and a, a so-called assault weapon? Well, that is a hard question because uh, the definition is very difficult. Uh, in 1935, when the prohibition issue was going on and the uh, alcohol gangs were out there in Al Capone and uh, St. Valentine Day's massacre. Uh, this issue was brought up and basically it said if it's fully automatic, it was, it, you had to went through a whole different set of laws, uh, and which basically meant that the vast majority of people wouldn't have one. If it was semi-automatic, it was okay. They also looked at sawed-off shotguns and, and other uh, type weapons, but this was the big decision and sort of set the stage for what was going to be civilian and what was going to be military. And that didn't change. Uh, it didn't change until 1994. And even then it was uh, mostly about looks because the guns that were AR-15s are semi-automatic. Uh, you hear on the, on the media, uh, each time you pull the trigger it shoots. Well, you know, each time you pull the trigger on a duck gun it shoots. Each time you pull the trigger on a revolver it shoots. Uh, any gun uh, except the bolt-action rifles are going to shoot every time you pull the trigger. Uh, so these, and these guns have 
bayonet lugs on them, and they're, a lot of them are black, and they look like military guns, and they're very, very popular with people that have been in the service in the last 40 years because it's similar to the type of weapon, and they buy them because they don't always need them, but they want them. You can say they want them because we've seen millions of them be sold. And it is the least used gun in crime. Less than 2% of all guns used in crime are rifles of any kind. So here we have this gun that looks like a military gun, but it's sort of like a Corvette body with a Volkswagen engine. You don't know it till you press the gas, okay? Well... <laughs> The soccer moms and the people out there that don't know a lot about guns, they see these guns that look so mean, and they, they think they're military guns. So this is just sort of a fallacy. Now, the second part is, and this is really the more important part, is the magazines, because the semi-automatics will hold more rounds. So the next step would be, well, these guns are more dangerous, and they can be used to kill more because they can shoot faster, and you can put more bullets in them. So we'll just limit them to 10 rounds or 7 rounds or 12 rounds. Right. The current proposal um, from the president is 10 rounds. Right. right. Uh, New York just did one for 7 and another state's different. So, yeah, we've got a lot of state issues as well as federal. Well, if you take – if you know the engineering of guns and design of guns, and this is where a lot of information gets left out, uh, they're designed so that you shoot when it's empty, the slide stays back, let lets you know you're out of bullets for safety reasons. You mash the button, the magazine falls out, you take another magazine, you put it in. It takes about 1.3 seconds to do that. So if you ban a whole class of firearms and all these higher cap magazines, what have you really done? You may have saved six or seven seconds for some suicidal maniac to do his horrible deed. And some of these suicidal people, they seem to be intelligent in some ways, uh, planning and what they've done. I don't think this type of law is going to stop that type of incident. I think we will give up a lot of firearms, a lot of very popular guns, a lot of very popular magazines, and we won't get much in return. All right. Let's, let's open it up to, uh, to you guys now. So I'll start with, uh, with this gentleman right here. Thank you. Yeah, go ahead and uh, tell, me, tell me your name. And then, okay. Uh, I'm the other Mel in town, Mel Morgenstein. And Mel. Mel Morgenstein. Morgenstein. And I've met your lovely bride a number of times at Echo Foundation. So I'm looking forward to meeting you in person. So. Anyway, by the way, point of information, the term uh, assault rifle is, refers to the military weapons. Josh Sugarman of the Violence Policy Center invented the term assault weapon to come up with something that looked like a military weapon and to come up with a term that was scary to people. But it has nothing to do with assaults. Anyway, well, here's, here's my question. It's almost indisputable that every one of these mass shootings has occurred in a gun-free zone. And this is where any whack job knows that he can gun down people who are defense, defenseless and helpless. When are we going to start getting a handle on maybe this is not such a good idea, these gun-free zones? Thanks. Okay. Uh, would either of you like to respond to that? Uh, well, I, I mean, I, 
my response is uh, we're, we're not going to decide that. I mean, I, I think um, um, most people want schools to be gun-free zones. Um, that's a popular concept. Whether it works or not, nothing, no law works 100% of the time, and you don't abandon the law because it doesn't work uh, 100% of the time. Uh, you won't abandon uh, gun-free zones just because uh, they are not gun-free 100% of the time. So uh, if, you, if anybody in here is looking for a solution that's going to be 100%, uh, you should have stayed home and watched the Bobcats or the Carolina game tonight. Uh, there's not going to be a solution that's going to give you 100%, and that's, that's, that's true of gun-free zones, too. That would be my response. Let's go, to, let's go to you right there, Miss. Hi, my name is Tina Burnside, and my question um, pertains to the CDC, the um, Center for Disease Control. A report states that homicide is the leading cause of death for black males aged 15 to 34. So I want to know what specific policies are going to be implemented to address the daily violence in cities, because a lot of attention is being focused on mass shootings, which is different from daily gun violence in cities, and particularly the black community. And so I want to know what um, specific policies are going to be implemented to address um, high unemployment, poverty, gangs, and lack of opportunity. Right. So well, as, 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 you know, as Larry said before, right, the, uh, the, and, 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 as you, and as you mentioned, the uh, main uh, guns used uh, in, in killings are, uh, are, are semi-automatic pistols. Yeah, well, and, go ahead. I'm sorry, sir? I was going to say the most important issue right here has been drugs. The drug addiction and the drug trade, uh, much like in the Prohibition time, has led to extreme violence, protecting the turf, uh, people that have to have money for drugs, they'll kill you. Uh, a lot of the sh shootings and so forth that we see in the inner city are people didn't pay their drug bill. Uh, they don't take you to court. They shoot you. So uh, somehow we've got to get the drug issue under control. It's probably one of the worst things in the whole country is the drug issue, and it affects the inner city the most. And it's a huge part of gun violence. But even even beyond uh, drugs, yeah. Let's let me let the congressman. Uh, well, let, let me. Uh, this was alluded to on the uh, radio program this morning, um, and you are absolutely right. Uh, there's disproportionality of gun violence um, in the African American community, but um, I also have to be direct and honest with you that we're not going to pass a set of gun laws that just deal with the African American community. This is not a race issue. This is a violence issue. Now, um, should we be doing more uh, to address education, um, economic inequities, the things that lead to the kind of frustration that may result in gun violence? Uh, absolutely, and you won't find a stronger uh, advocate for that than I have been. Uh, but... Uh, um, um, I had to I had to stop Mike Collins very short this morning when he uh, was appearing to try to make this a black-white issue, um, um, uh, superimposing race on top of this issue just complicates it even further. 
Uh, we can't have a set of gun laws that apply only in the black community and a different set of gun laws that apply in the white community, well, that's right? N- that's so, not what I'm suggesting. I'm yeah. suggesting that there's a disproportionate impact, so I think that there needs to be a targeted approach within and, and, the discussion, and I don't think that that's being addressed within the discussion of gun violence. Oh, I, absolutely. If you look at the, uh, at the 15 points that were developed by a, a group of, um, of people in our caucus, uh, a substantial part of, of, uh, of that is directed at mental health, uh, economic disparities, the kinds of things that are likely to lead to, uh, to, uh, uh, to gun violence. If you look at what the president has proposed, there are things in it that um, are directed at that, uh, uh, but which is why we were trying to dissuade our moderator tonight from, from characterizing this as a discussion only of gun control. This is not about gun control. Uh, that's one aspect of it. But if we're going to get a, our arms around this problem, we've got to address uh, multiple aspects of what leads to gun violence. And that is eco- economics, it's drugs, it's access to guns, it's uh, mental health, it's a whole range of things. And if we zero in on only one aspect of it, I think we lose uh, uh, an opportunity to address uh, a very, uh, or try to address it in a more comprehensive way. And that was the point I was trying to make. I, I, I'm not minimizing uh, the point that you are making, I absolutely agree with it, but um, uh, the, the set of laws that we apply to guns uh, have to have universal a- applicability. Okay. Right. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Go ahead. My name is Spencer Rackley, and um, don't know where to start. Um, put this comment on the uh, My mom always told me to start at the top. Yeah. I put this comment on the website this morning. I got two points to make, by by the way. Assuming the purpose of the Second Amendment was to prevent federal government from disarming state militias is based on some backwards logic. Nothing in the Second Amendment or the debates surrounding the Constitution or Bill of Rights would indicate this. In fact, they indicate the exact opposite. The purpose of the Second was to prevent federal government from disarming the people. Hence the subject of the second, the right of the people to keep and bear arms. One of the most important reasons not to infringe this right was so that the people would have the ability to form militias as needed. Hence the use use of the nominative absolute, a well-regulated militia, being necessary to the security of a free state. A book on grammar will explain nominative absolutes. The right to arms is not dependent upon the militia. The militia is dependent upon the right to arms, something that the gun controllers tend to get mixed up. Without people bringing their own arms, the militias formed would be quite ineffective. And the second point is this. As far as the assault weapons ban goes, which one of these would you ban? Here, I'll take that
So, so let me let me take a shot at the first part of what you said. Um, I, I don't think there's a substantial disagreement about that. Supreme Court uh, has made it clear that um, um, the language about the militia is is not the primary part of what they're basing their opinion on. Um, 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 so, I, I mean, I wouldn't argue with you about that. Um, and, I, and, you know, Larry might want to take a shot at the second one, uh, but uh, I, I think if we start, uh, um, if this deteriorates into trying to identify we're going to ban this and not ban that, I think we've, we've missed the opportunity to have a, a real high-level discussion tonight. So, um, Well, it might be, but, um, you know, uh, I, I, don't think, um, I don't think we ought to limit this discussion tonight to what kind of weapon gets banned. We may not ban any weapon, uh, but we need, to, we need to reduce gun violence in this country. You know, the other thing I'm going to do is we had uh, a number of emails after the Charlotte Talk segment when, um, when these two gentlemen spoke earlier. And, I, and one, of our, one of our listeners uh, emailed, and I'm just going to read this really quickly here, and then we're going to move on to the next person. Um, it says, your guest read the Second Amendment and says that the court has confirmed the right of the citizen to own a gun to protect himself. True. But please read the statement made by Scalia, that, that's Justice Antonin Scalia, um, that that accompanied his 2008, the 2008 ruling. Like most rights, the rights secured by the Second Amendment is not unlimited. The Second Amendment is not a right to keep and carry any weapon whatsoever in any manner whatsoever and for whatever purpose. Um, and, and so I, I, I'll leave it there because the email goes on a little bit longer. But um, I, I think that's, you know, as long as we... You know, as long as we're, we're, we're getting into the amendment argument, I thought that was sort of a nice uh, uh, point that I wanted to bring up as well. Um, let's go to this gentleman right here. Thanks. Uh, my name is David Balkan, and I'll just say a few things about myself. I have an English degree from a liberal arts school. I'm into yoga and art and design. I'm vegan. I love San Francisco and Paris. I'm secular. I don't believe America was founded on Christianity. I'm for drug legalization. I'm pro-choice, and I'm pro-gay. Uh, I'm probably the strongest Second Amendment, one of the strongest Second Amendment rights supporters here. I believe it means you have the right to bear military-style weapons. So a lot of people make a, they think they have a sense of what's right and wrong in this issue based on values they associate with the gun people. And and so I I encourage everybody to do their own independent thinking. Um, I'd like to take issue with the the term gun violence, but I'd also like to take issue with the chart. Could you put that chart with the countries up? Mm-hmm. Again? Okay, great. Um, yeah, Mark, let me okay. um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm discouraged by this watchword term, gun violence. I think it's kind of a false package, kind of like the term assault rifle. Uh, the, the term gun violence seems to imply there's, it, that it's a violence of a different stripe and with a different, different cause apart from the, the human choice involved, the immoral choice involved, as if guns are part of the cause. I don't, I don't think guns can be a a cause of violence any more than penises are a cause of rape. Uh, I, I think it's a loaded term, and it kind of evades the fact that, that gun violence can be good when it is used as a lawful retaliation and deterrence to defend human rights against evil violence, unlawful violence. Um, so uh, the, the, that threat of violence against criminals makes everybody safe, and uh, including those who don't own guns. Um, and I think statistics are, are behind that. But I do believe, with, if you have draconian penalties against gun freedom like England, I do believe we could reduce gun violence. But if, if it's like there, we'd see an overall increase in violence. Uh, 
Um, and it, is the chart there? Yeah. Um, I notice that Russia and Jamaica, Honduras, Brazil, and Mexico are not up there. And there's many others that are not up there, all of which have higher crime rates than the U.S. And I know in the case of Russia, Brazil, and Mexico, and I think Jamaica and Honduras as well, they actually have tighter gun control, more gun control there. You also see that Switzerland and Israel and New Zealand are up there, and all very low crime rates. They all have equal or more gun freedom than the United States. So I think that's, that's something else we can consider. It's, you've got to really – statistics can be very misleading, so you've really got to, to look at it carefully. Yeah. Um, those, are, those are some really great points. I, just uh, really quickly on the chart, um, that's, first of all, uh, excellent points. We're talking about uh, developed countries here, so um, Honduras, Jamaica, those things wouldn't, wouldn't get in there. Mexico, as you Russia, say, should be on the chart Russia, here. Russia, Brazil. Right. Uh, Russia, uh, right, obviously doesn't appear on, on gun violence. It's a very good point, and we'll see if one of our, uh, if our, one of our panelists want to, want to speak to it. Larry, do you want to talk to Thank that? You. Well, certainly you just made some great points. Uh, and one of the biggest issues, yes, right. One of the biggest issues is we've seen a lot of gun laws passed in other countries. We've seen them passed in our own country, and we've seen different laws passed in different states and different cities. And there's virtually no correlation between murders and crime rate and gun laws. Uh, they have strict gun laws like Chicago, the very strictest laws in the country. They still have huge murder rates, huge problem. Uh, Places in the South have almost no gun laws, the least, and they have almost no crime. Uh, even in Charlotte, you're going to have parts of Charlotte, virtually less violence than any European country ever had. Other parts are going to look like a third world country. Uh, the laws themselves don't seem to have an effect. Uh, to get to the problem of murder and crime and the mayhem that's used, we've got to go beyond passing the gun laws. We've got the Second Amendment. We're not going to ban guns, okay? Uh, I think we've we can got that under control. But we can ban certain types of guns, and you can put a lot of red tape in buying guns and virtually take people's rights away just by red tape. Red tape. In New York City, uh, crime was bad. Uh, the city leader said, let's passed the Sullivan Act, we'll let the pre, uh, police precincts, each one decide uh, who gets the permit to buy a handgun. Well, uh, Tammany Hall hadn't left, I guess, because it soon got corrupted. The people of New York couldn't buy it, couldn't get a permit, but it uh, seemed like organized crime figures and celebrities all got them. So uh, you got to be really careful who you give the power to, uh, to issue gun permits. It's a state issue, not just federal issue, uh, and we've seen what happened in England. We are uh, gun owners are worried that we take step one and that doesn't work. So you go to step two and that doesn't work. You go to step three, and when you end up, the Second Amendment is just a symbolic with no no power. Let, let me respond to where, where did he go? Oh, here yes. Okay, I'm sorry, I lost you. Um, um, I, I guess my first response would be to the first part of how you describe yourself. Um, and I would say I resemble that remark uh, because, um, I mean, most people, 
I think when I got invited to to do Mike Collins' show, um, they were expecting a uh, uh, a left wing pro gun control person, and they were expecting Larry to be the right wing no gun control person, right? And I, I mean, I just um, I can't put myself in either one of those categories. Uh, I, I mean. I'm trying to find a solution to gun violence. Um, and um, for us to, to say that gun violence is not an issue is to ignore what's happening in our country. It has been an issue in our community, as the uh, young lady uh, who talked about the black community, it's been an issue for, for, for years in our community. And Newtown and Tucson and Aurora have made it a national issue now. Um, so for us to say that the answer is do nothing uh, is just not an appropriate response. Uh, for us to say we shouldn't even be having a discussion about how to reduce gun violence, I don't think that's an appropriate response. So while I'm not interested in uh, controlling every gun in America, I am interested in finding a way to reduce gun deaths and deaths of any, needless deaths of any kind in this country, right? Uh, I'm, you know, um, uh, I, I hate war too, right? Uh, you know, I, I but I'm just, uh, my, my point is, uh, I don't think we can hide from the fact that this discussion needs to be had, and it needs to be had not only about how we are controlling guns. Um, there's a broader discussion, how do we control gun violence and violence in general in our country? And I think that's an important discussion uh, and, and, and one that, we're, that I'm obligated as a public servant to, uh, to engage in. Absolutely. Um, so let's, speaking of that, let's uh, go up. We're going to go to the next, to the next uh, gentleman right here. Why don't we come back over to it? Okay, I've, been, well, I've been a strong advocate of decriminalizing drugs. I don't know that I would legalize uh, drugs of every kind, but, uh, I mean, I certainly uh, believe that uh, we got a lot of people in, in jails that uh, shouldn't be there for uh, harming themselves only with drugs. So, yeah. Hello, I'm too close to the microphone. Uh, I'm Ryan Bickler. I'm a senior at UNC Charlotte. And I'd like to uh, bring up the concept that a lot of these people that conduct these uh, shootings, a lot of the time, they're, when we look into their history, they're sort of uh, bullied or they're put down. And a lot of the time, they feel they have nothing left to lose. And so instead of just committing suicide, which is a common reaction, they decide that they want to scar the world. And what I think is that uh, the media and the new social media that's come around has really sort of created this pedestal that wasn't there before for them to step up onto in their final act. And I want to know if there are going to be any efforts to remove this pedestal for villains and create one for heroes that isn't there right now. Very good. Well, you, you know we, we have a lot of copycat crimes as they, uh, these people with some mental issues. They 
they see what happens. They see the media coverage. And um, you're having people doing it over and over again. And one of the biggest fears for the gun owners is happening again. What happens two weeks from now or two years from now when it happens again? And we have done nothing to stop it from happening again. And hopefully we'll address that before tonight's over. I have some opinions myself, but it's, we've got to do that. And making these people into uh, martyrs and giving them all the publicity uh, is part of our problem. Yeah, you know, and just speaking as a reporter, I can tell you there's a very big question uh, in the media about, you know, do you re release that person's name? When one of those acts happens, do you release that person's name? How do you handle that? And there's there's a lot of questions in the media, that's, it, the media itself, a lot of looking, you know, uh, uh, looking inward about how do you about how do you handle that, um, sir? Thank you. Uh, my name is Aaron Fisher, and my question is more for the congressman. Um, I would consider myself to be a, a very liberal Democrat, and I'm kind of disappointed in the gun conversation nationally because the polls seem to show that Americans want stricter gun laws, even NRA members do. Uh, but when you hear the conversations from even Democrats. They kind of apologize before they start, and they really try to show that they like guns. I mean, even Harry Reid, Barack Obama with his picture shooting. Um, why is it that from the left, the opinions aren't stronger? And um, also considering that, you know, like NRA-backed candidates did not do very well. So I don't think there's really much pressure there. Why isn't there a stronger voice from the left? Well, I... I, I... You know, I, I stopped trying to speak for other people a uh, long time ago. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't own a gun. I'm unapologetic about not owning a gun. Would, would you I, say that's rare for, for someone to express that sentiment? Um, well, I, I don't, I mean, I don't express it unless somebody asks me. If somebody asks me, I will tell them I don't own a gun, never have used to shoot a BB gun when I was growing up, but that's about as, as close as I got uh, to it. Um, because then people tend to think that you are unsympathetic to the constitutional uh, imperatives, uh, the sentiment that there are legitimate gun owners out there. They use guns to hunt and, and, and for recreational purposes. So I don't, I mean, I, you know, it's kind of like saying, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a member of the Christian faith. I don't wear that on my sleeve either, right? Um, you know, I, there are just certain things that I don't think um, we wear, but it doesn't mean that I'm, un, that I'm apologetic about it. And um, I think uh, the extent to which uh, people are appearing to be apologetic about it is that they are trying to, in some way, identify themselves with people who do have guns so that they can believe that they have the standing uh, and platform from which to relate to people who believe in gun ownership. So, um, um, but, uh, you know, the, the, the 15 uh, recommendations that have come out of a task force from our caucus um, um, they are across the board, and they, uh, they've covered just about everything that everybody has said tonight, including the, the, the last person who came up, uh, 
we, we, need to, we need to start addressing some of these issues. So, Thank uh, Thanks. Sir. Well, since we're characterizing ourselves... I'm a southern white male that loves football, pizza, beard, and bourbon. And what's your name, and sir? And I'm furious at the NRA. I resemble that remark, too, <laughs> except the southern white male. I, 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 I can't, I can't quite get there with you. I'm a staunch Democrat. <laughs> now, my name is Ray Hudson. Okay, I have no, I mean, this and no disrespect, Mr. Hyatt, but in the gun debate, I've heard several cliches thrown out there, and you've come close and alluded to some tonight. Uh, one, guns don't kill people. People kill people. Well, <clears throat> if that were true, we could go a long way toward solving the national debt because we wouldn't have to give our soldiers guns. They clearly kill people. Uh, this gentleman here mentioned gun-free zones are where people get killed. Arizona is not a gun-free zone. Gaffey Giffords was shot there. <clears throat> Recently, a member of our armed forces was shot at a shooting range. I, I don't remember the gentleman's name. He was an expert marksman. So that's to say putting guns out there prevents murders. Not true. <clears throat> Another issue, and there again, I mean, no disrespect, Mr. Hyatt. You keep talking about the thugs who have guns. Surely they kill people. But that gun in your home, owned by honest people who go a little nuts, make bad judgment, that gun in your home is more apt to kill you than the thug. Now, and I think we saw that illustrated in Newtown. The gun the lady had to protect herself was used to kill her. Now, Mr. Watt, I would also address the question to you, one from your legal scholarly standpoint. Obviously, we know what the recent Supreme Court ruling was. From a legal history, though, didn't that ruling come somewhat out of left field? Uh, moreover... Am I going too long? No, you're, you're, you're doing fine. I think that we'll have, uh, oh, we'll have okay. the congressman answer the question. Before we do, it just seems like a good, a good time to remind everybody. Um, we appreciate your passion. And, um, and, 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 you know, and, and as you said, you know, there's, there's no disrespect intended or anything like that. I don't think there was any given. But I just want to, it seems like a good time to remind everybody um, that, as we can see with Mr. Hudson, you're very passionate about this. And we're all very passionate about it. And we're here to, to have a discussion and, uh, and to have a civil discussion. So um, with, that, with that, I'm going to turn it over to, uh, 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 to Congressman Watts uh, to answer your question. Remind him one more time what it was. Okay. My question, Mr. Watt, well, I have actually two. As a, a legal historian, not a congressman, and I think you've done an adept job of answering that question given what the law is today. But in terms of legal history, the Second Amendment, hasn't there been a strong emphasis on the past that it did refer to the state's right to arm the militia as opposed to individual rights? You know, I, I honestly don't know the answer to that question. I haven't researched the, the history of the Second Amendment. Uh, but what I can tell you is the Supreme Court is the last word on this, and they have spoken. And until they change or change the opinion... Uh, I'm bound to uh, to comply with it. Um, you see what I'm saying? Uh, so, you know, I I can't I can't say I I don't like this this Supreme Court's interpretation of this law and be selected because the Supreme Court of the United States is the highest the last word on what is constitutional and what is not constitutional. Whether I like them or not, um, that's just kind of 
where I am. Well, I think that's a very pragmatical yeah. answer, but I guess I go back to Point Plessy versus Ferguson was a law at one time, too. Yeah, and but they changed, and uh, while it was the law, a lot of a lot of good people were complying with it, and um, uh, so a lot of those white Southern gentlemen that you referred to uh, were in that category. Um, so, you know, I... And, and ultimately, the court may come back and change, but right now, the law is that there is a right to bear arms for personal protection of your home that's unconnected to the militia. And I don't know what the history is. I haven't researched it. Yeah, and we're going we're gonna to move on to the, to the next question. But I need to ask yeah, you want to okay. okay. If I can have we'll one on brief there. question, Mr. Right. And, and this goes back to the truisms that say we can't cut down gun violence by restricting guns. Automatic weapons have been outlawed and severely restricted for some time. And I think you're going to have to really rack your brain to find the last time an automatic weapon was used as a killing in the United States. Well, you know, you mentioned that uh, having a gun at home could be more dangerous. It might be in a drug house. But 300 million guns in the hands of the American people, if they were uh, that dangerous, you would have so many gun deaths, it would be unfathomable. The vast majority of people are so safe. Uh, gun accidents are actually at historic lows. And I'm going to tell you what. Uh, Mrs. Brown, who the widow who lives alone and has that little Smith & Wesson by her bed, I, when she hears someone kicking her door in at 2 o'clock in the morning, uh, she is glad to have that gun laying there. So I think you may be stepping a little bit out on that one. But well, All right. Well, we're going we're gonna to move on now. Sure, um, thank, thank you. Thank you sir. All right. Uh, miss, go ahead. <laughs> I apologize. I've never done this before. So. <clears throat> uh, my name is Suzanne Rollis. I am the leader of the One Million Moms for Gun Control Charlotte chapter, Southwest North Carolina. And I have a giant stack of paper over there that I could pull out answers to several of these things. And, and it's taken, I, I've been really trying to narrow down exactly what I want to ask here. Um, but two things. You said that uh, magazines are easy to change, and it's not going to matter if it's a 10-round or a 100-round. Uh, but isn't it true that in, when Gabby Giffords was shot, he used 33 rounds, and the only reason he was able to stop was because his gun jammed and somebody took him down. So if he had only had 10, wouldn't there be 23 more people that would not have gotten wounded because he didn't have enough bullets, and he had to check. I know it may be seven seconds, but that's seven seconds that the nearest person can jump him and take him down. Larry, does changing the, uh, does changing the magazine, does that, uh, does that help? Well, you brought up a good point. Uh, you're not going to, we're just not going to get 100% protection against these uh, psychopaths. Uh, that particular instance was in a, not in a gun-free zone, and it was certainly an aberration. But you, you make a good point, but for giving up all our rights because of one incident that was bizarre is just not the right thing to do. Uh, the magazines can be changed, and we're talking about these, uh, all the other uh, misuse of the semi-automatic weapons, it wouldn't have mattered about the magazines, not one bit. Fortunately, yeah, when the, in the Gabby Gifford, they was able, other people were able to stop him before he could do anything else. And it was true that um, another guy almost shot the person that actually attacked him and dropped him. I watched the Senate hearings on this, so this was a very, I, I'm very, I've been doing a lot of research on this because Newtown 
hit me like a brick, and I can't let something like that happen to my kids. Now, my other question um, is... So, Miss, actually, this is a great time for me to make this announcement, which, uh, which our, our director just brought up to me, which is that we have about half an hour left. So we really have to start moving through. We have a lot of people who have been waiting in line, so we're just going to limit it to the, to the one comment, and we're going to ask people to, um, to really try to be uh, as, as brief and specific as possible. So can we're going to move along to, to this gentleman here. Can I ask about universal background checks? Right. That's all I want to do right. is ask... Um, there was an, a man in Ohio who bought a gun at a gun show who then his little boy ended up shooting himself in the head with it. And he would not have gotten that gun if he had had a background check. So what's the problem with universal background checks? It takes 90 seconds to do. There are they're very, very – it's practically free in some All right, cases. so Larry, do, do, do the quick uh, – talk, talk background checks uh, uh, just briefly. Give us the kind of the rundown on background yeah. checks and what you think of universal. Well, well, and then we're going to move to uh, this gentleman right here. Background checks uh, are all 100 percent done through – federally licensed dealers. At gun shows, all background checks are done to anyone who has a license to sell guns at a gun show. The only people that don't go through background checks are individuals who are not dealers selling to other individuals. And right now, there's really no way for them to do a background check. Uh, It wouldn't be uh, out of the question for a system to be set up at gun shows so that anyone that wanted to buy a gun could go through a background check. But it is not a federal issue. It is a state issue. Uh, two people in the same state uh, can sell a gun to each other. There is civil risk if you did it to someone that shouldn't have had one. Uh, in North Carolina, you have to have a permit, even at a gun show, from an individual to individual. But a rifle or shotgun, you do not. Uh, but as I said, there is not a system today for a background check for two individuals. It could be done, okay, and that may be something that could be put on the table. I will say this. Guns bought at the gun show and traced for crime has been a pretty small number. Uh, There's a lot of research done on where the guns came from that end up in crime. Uh, And it is, unfortunately, there is not a source. There's not a couple of bad guys selling them. They get out through people dying and they're, uh, guns go out to family members, individuals selling to individuals from work or neighbors or friends. Uh, gun shows alone are probably not that significant. It sounds big, it sounds good, but the tracing of guns has shown that that wasn't a major source of criminal guns. But the universal background check. All right, Miss, we're going we're gonna, to yeah, go ahead let and me just on. Let me just say, I think there's probably more agreement on the point you're making than there is on virtually everything. The problem is that the, the, the background check system is not complete. We need to ramp it up and, and get the information into it so that it's a reliable background check. But um, there, there's not as much disagreement on that point as, as uh, there appears to be on a number of other points. And that's definitely, part again, part of these proposals that have come forth. A lot of them has to do with tightening up background checks and strengthening background checks. Um, all right. Thank you, um, sir. First of all, I want to say that there have been a couple of shooting deaths in my family. So I feel as strongly about this as anybody does, but it does not justify depriving other people of their rights. As far as the court decisions are concerned, you go back to the 1800s. I believe there's only been four U.S. Supreme Court decisions on this subject. And the one in the 1800s man was charged with carrying a sword in a parade. And the court said, basically, the right to keep and bear arms predated the Constitution 
It was under English common law. Therefore, they said, we cannot say that this is right granted by the Second Amendment because the people already had it. It simply recognizes a pre-existing right. In U.S. versus Miller in 1940, the court also said that uh, the term militia indicated the general populace, people between ages of, I think, 15 or 18 and 55, were expected to bring guns of typical military use in their period that they had owned, that they paid for, and to bring sufficient ammunition to use them. They called out the militia. They did not have the guns for the militia. The people were expected to bring their own, and they were expected to bring the type of weapon that was in common military use at the time. As far as magazine capacity is concerned, we lost more people during the Civil War than we did in any other war we were involved in, and it was all done with single-shot rifles. If you have three people breaking down your door and you've got ten shots in your gun and you're nervous and you miss two or three, you're in a world of trouble. I've got a picture at home taken from a police manual that shows a man who was hit 31 times by the police with 9-millimeter bullets and a 30-second shot brought him down. They mentioned another one who was hit 20 times and did not die immediately, another one who was hit in the heart and managed to open two doors and run down a flight of stairs before it collapsed. You need something that will stop someone from attacking you. Whether they die or not is immaterial. You are protecting your own life, and if you prevent them from harming you, that's fine. I do object to the premise of gun violence because violence is violence, whether it's a gun or anything else. A gun's an inanimate object, just like a rock or a hammer. You can build a house with a hammer. You can beat somebody's brains out with it. The problem is not the inanimate object. The problem is the person who uses it, and that's really all I have to say. But the problem is in the human heart. It's not in what we hold in our hands. All right. Thank you, sir. Uh, sir, go ahead. Can I just respond uh, briefly? Because, uh, uh, I mean, we, we keep getting these people coming to the mic saying um, we're going to deprive somebody of their constitutional rights um, or deprive somebody of their rights. I, don't, I, I mean, I... I don't think that's a constructive way to look at this, really. Uh, uh, even the Supreme Court. Let, let, me, let me just read you what it said. Uh, this was the Supreme Court that upheld the right to, to bear arms, right? Um, it says the right, quote, the right secured by the Second Amendment is not unlimited and specifically recognized the constitutionality of, quote, prohibiting the carrying of dangerous and unusual weapons, close quote. So, I mean, this, I, I mean, I'm, I, I'm just going to go back to what I started with. This is, this is a, an effort to find what a reasonable restraint on a constitutional right is. It is not an effort to deprive Anybody, I mean, you know, uh, there, there's not a constitutional right that doesn't have some kind of con limitations on it. And um, if we don't find the appropriate limitation, um, then I don't think there's going to be a limitation, and um, there are going to be a lot of disappointed people in this country. And in, in terms of keeping the discussion moving forward, obviously the, the Second Amendment is a huge part of this. It is a, um, a hugely debated point um, with the understanding that it is a huge part of this um, and that at the end of tonight we may not agree in this discussion um, about uh, exactly what the Second Amendment 
uh, uh, limits and allows. Um, let's let's try to move forward, and I really want to make sure we get to these other people, like this gentleman standing and been standing in line for a long time. Um, uh, so let, let's try to move forward and uh, uh, and keep the conversation moving forward as well. Sorry. But, 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 uh, 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 I hate to argue with with the moderator, but let me, let me be clear. Right? I mean, because one one person came and said, "Okay, you, um, I don't like what the Supreme Court said. Shouldn't I disagree with him?" I said, "No, uh, the Supreme Court said this." But when the Supreme Court says that there can be this can't be an unlimited right. Uh, what else am I supposed to say? I, I, I'm supposed to disagree with them when they say it shouldn't be unlimited, and agree with them when I say that uh, when they say that there's uh, there's a right to bear arms. There's got to be some middle ground here. You see what I'm saying? So uh, let's 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 get away from this notion that we're going to deprive somebody of their rights. We're trying to find what a reasonable uh, constraint is if there is one. I'd like to bring up the point that we're kind of missing a big part of this debate. And it's not the Supreme Court. It's Mecklenburg County Courts and state courts that keep turning gun criminals back on society over and over again. A disproportionate amount of the gun crime in this country is committed by recidivists. In North Carolina, you've got to commit 14 felonies to do any meaningful time. So the same people, the little girl in Chicago that was killed right after um, being at the inauguration was killed by a man who had a number of violent felonies and was back on the street where he could kill more people. So I'd like to challenge Mr. Watt. End the revolving door. Get the gun criminals off the street. Don't plea bargain gun crime. If somebody shoots somebody, make them stay in jail for a meaningful amount of time so they're not back on the street shooting more people. And what was your name, sir? Uh, Pat Patrick. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Sir? I, pro- I probably agree with that, but, uh, you know, understand that um, I, I can't control what a judge does in Mecklenburg County uh, Superior Court or District Court. I mean, I, you know, uh, I, I agree that there shouldn't be a revolving door uh, on, on violent crime. Uh, but, uh, um, I, I, yeah, so right, uh, I sir. agree with you. <laughs> I'm a bit of a strange duck in this debate. Uh, when I was 16 years old, a, a bullet whizzed past my head and it blew out the water heater about three feet away from me. And after that, I hated guns. And it was in the late 90s when I was in East Africa, that I was in Ethiopia, and they said, you know, we, we need arms, we need arms to fight our evolution. And I was like, I don't know what you guys are talking about. I just want to go to the city of Axum and see what you have here. That they then started their war for independence, and Eritrea, Eritrea became a country. Because after that, I started thinking about it. And if you think about what has happened over the last 100 years, over 200 million people have died because of governments attacking people who have no guns. And it was then I started thinking, if you have a stable democracy, you really shouldn't worry about that. But what is a stable democracy? Excluding um, Switzerland, America, we've had two revolutions since our first one. Uh, you go to France, Germany, England, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We've had many problems over those times and many revolutions over those times. So what, I, what I'm getting at is you have Libya, you have Syria, you have Tunisia, you have Egypt. You have all the countries in the Middle East that are getting arms from outside so that their people can fight a revolution to gain their freedom. 
Well, in the United States, if that ever happens, and I'm not saying it will happen in the next 50, 100, 200 years, but eventually, odds are it will happen, because a stable democracy at most lasts 100 years at this point, who is going to supply us with those arms? And if we can't be supplied with those arms, we have to get them internal, internally. And isn't that the reason why we have the Second Amendment? Thousands of people dying are a problem in the United States and a problem across the world because of gun violence, but 200 million predominantly because of gun violence is a whole lot bigger egg than what we're dealing with yearly here. And what so was your name, how, sir? How do you answer that? The name's Hollis. Great. Yeah, and this is, this is obviously is, is a big part of it, right? There's a, a lot of it has to do, there's a, an, an element of this debate that has to do with um, essentially having guns as protection against the state. I, I'm interested in Larry. What's, I mean, what do you think of that component of it? Well, governments and religion have killed more people than any criminals ever thought about doing. Uh, it's, it's a huge issue. And uh, we, we have to look at the big picture and the little picture. Uh, uh, at this discussion, we're not going to be able to do much about the big picture. Um, it's so complex, I don't know if we can do much about the little picture. Uh, <laughs> But we'll, we'll all try, and I guarantee you the gun owners of America, just like what you said, um, Japan sure didn't want to invade the United States. We're all armed. Uh, a, gun after, a gun under every blade of grass, I yes, think, is what yes. said. Yeah. It's part of our tradition. It's our culture. It is part of our government to own firearms. We, and, and I truly believe that these uh, semi-automatic rifles, these more powerful handguns and rifles that are at that limit where it was decided in 1935, I don't think they should be banned. And that's my true feeling because I think what you said, it gives a lot of power to the people. So at some future date, it might be really important. However, this what's going on in our cities and these young men being killed and the violence that's, that's happening, uh, it could affect those gun rights. And I want to see that stop. Maybe it's a little selfish. But I think it could hurt all our gun rights if we don't work together to stop some of this killing that's out there. It's, it's horrible, and uh, we've got to find a way to do it. But I absolutely think what you said is the key. It was what our founding fathers were thinking about when they passed these laws. They just had they lived under tyranny. And we've seen what a government that gets out of control, loses contact, someone gets there could be a government someday that would put everybody that owns a gun in jail or put them in a work camp. It happened in Russia. So you got to be careful. Or every Japanese citizen. Yes, yes right. as we've done. So we're, we're going to, we have another question. Um, this is one written on, on, on a card to Congressman Watt. I'm just going to read it. Um, it's Congressman Watt, do you favor combining gun control laws in one bill or proposing several bills, each addressing a, a, a specific aspect of controlling gun violence? I just soon have this debate one time and put them all into whatever we're going to do into one law. Um, um, it's you know, it's painful having a debate and and there are trade-offs sometimes when you when you combine several different ideas into one law, then you can um, you can um, uh, do some trade-offs and probably get something that can be comprehensive. So I, I would strongly favor, I mean, you know, I've been in favor of comprehensive immigration reform, comprehensive gun uh, uh, violence laws. I mean, you know, it's just easier to do this. I'm, I'm in favor of a big, uh, a big deal on the economy. Uh, I mean, you know, there's just more, there's more negotiation you can do to, um, to, to satisfy 
a larger number of people okay. when you Thanks. do it that way. Sir. <clears throat> Uh, what's your name, sir? My name is Chip Cook. I'm a native Charlottean, a lifelong gun owner. Uh, I do have a question I want to direct to uh, the congressman. Um, I do want to make one little comment. To, I've heard some very good uh, comments here tonight. Um, uh, I have a pencil on my desk that misspells words. The uh, um, guns that I have in my closet have never killed anyone. Uh, we have leadership in Washington, you're a part of it. Uh, what we need in this country is effective leadership and someone who can come up with a legitimate, reasonable solution to our problems and stop beating the bushes with ones that are not solutions to our problems. We all know, you can look at history, look at the, look at the facts, look at Mexico. Limiting guns is not going to change the problem we have. Their problems come from other sources. And I would ask the congressman, and I don't really expect an answer tonight, congressman, take this back with you to Washington. What are we going to do to really solve our problems? When are we going to stop pointing fingers at that one item or another and trying to make it the scapegoat? We need effective solutions to a problem. And banning this or that or changing this or that law has very little effect, and we all see that. We need effective solutions. Perhaps you have an idea. Uh, would you entertain the notion that uh, what you consider effective, somebody else might not consider oh, effective? absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. All right, as long as you entertain absolutely. that notion, that's, uh, the, that's all I want to be sure of. All right, thank you. Sir? Okay. Thanks, sir. Uh, my name is Jonathan Rogers, and I... Uh, uh, even though I've never owned a gun, I've known a number of people who have. Um, and I am concerned about uh, rights being restricted unnecessarily. I certainly agree with the congressman that none of the constitutional rights are unlimited. But um, with regard to a couple of things he said, um, I'm, I would like an explanation as to why the limitation is helpful, specifically the uh, the gun-free zones, as you said, um, there's no solution that's 100 percent. It's certainly right. But is there any, can you offer any evidence that those have made people safer? And so the question is, do, do gun-free zones help? Um, and, right. and, and before before we answer that question, we have, by my calculation, um, enough time. We can get to everybody else who's standing in line right now if we do a minute per question and answer. So let's see if we can do, like, a rapid-fire round right here. Okay. And, um, and similar, similar question okay. for... I think um, we're just going to stick with that one because we only have because we only have time. All right. So we're going to go with gun-free zone. Uh, uh, Congressman. Um, the answer is no, I don't have any. Um, but uh, I, don't, I don't know that that necessarily means I wouldn't support gun-free zones because I don't have any... Uh, no, I don't have any statistical evidence that they make... Anything safe or not? So, so why do you okay. support it then? So we're, we're going we're gonna to go to the, to, the, to the next one. We've got to narrow this yes. down, huh? <laughs> yeah. It's a complicated so it's, it's issue. Just, it's just a time issue. We <laughs> want to make sure we get as many people as possible. It, yes. For sure, it's a complicated issue. My name is Joan Cuthbertson. Um, my husband, now retired, was in, the, was in gunnery in the British Navy. Uh, my kids, I allowed them to play with guns when they were kids. I played with little guns, toy guns, when I was a kid. But other countries around the world play the same video games, have the same mental problems in the U.S. as the U.S., but manage to avoid a sky-high murder rate and frequent public shooting massacres. Australia, 
prime minister was pro-gun until the massacre in 1996 in Tasmania. Strict gun control laws haven't had a massacre since then. Okay, so let's let's have uh, have have Larry take a crack at this one. Yeah, well, that's why I came tonight because uh, the emotional issues of, a, of these massacres, you get some of the worst laws that you can imagine. Uh, they'll affect us and our grandchildren, and that's a huge problem because the emotions are so great. Uh, these countries that pass these laws quickly and uh, disarmed their citizens, they may not have had a mass shooting, but they have had a lot of other violence issues with people, home invasions, robberies. Uh, it did not solve the crime problem. It did not solve uh, the murder problem and may not have solved the mass shooting problem. We don't know if they, just because they hadn't had one last month, don't mean to have one next month. So this is a huge issue. And if we are not careful and look at it very carefully, uh, you're going to get some new gun laws in Washington and maybe in a lot of different states that are going to really affect the future of the gun ownership in America. Thanks, sir. Um, yeah, we're going to do. We're okay. going to go with you because we're going to have right. three and three, and I really like that. All right. All right. <laughs> All right. I'm happy I'm able to ask this question, um, and I'm hoping you guys don't think it's naive. Um, but what reasonable restrictions? We can't. The, the Second Amendment says you can't restrict people from buying guns. But what reasonable restrictions can we place on ammunition sales and purchasing? Um, you don't need a background check to buy. Ammo, you can, and a gun costs you six hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. Around a box of fifty is twenty bucks. So not gun control, but bullet control. Right, to paraphrase Chris Rock. That's a real interesting question, and you know we, uh, I don't know if ammunition is even protected by the Second Amendment. So that is something we should be concerned about as gun owners. Um, the criminals don't need a lot of ammunition. Most ammunition is purchased by the target shooters and the skeet shooters and the hunters. Uh, Self defense doesn't usually require a lot of ammunition except to proficiency. Uh, we've had gun con- uh, ammunition control in the past. We used to have a log in our store where everybody that bought ammo, you had to get their name, address, check their ID, basically registered uh, their ammunition purchase. After 10 years of this, they did away with it. It never solved a crime or stopped a crime, and they figured it was worthless, and they threw it out. There are, however, Taxes on ammunition and guns, 11% uh, taxes uh, that are part of uh, uh, all firearms and gun manufacturing. Uh, And there's been talk about raising taxes very, very high on ammunition to make it prohibitive for most people to buy it. So that is another thing that we've got to watch out for as far as some of the proposed laws. And, Congressman, do you have a – I think that's sort of a – well, I, I think uh, one aspect of, uh, of what's being looked at is uh, the size of magazines, which would get to uh, the ammunition question at, in, in a tangential way. So uh, I think there's at least one option that's being looked at. Okay. We have six minutes, six people. Sir? The matter I want to raise, my, my name is Murph Archibald. I'm a lifelong hunter. Purchased a bolt action weapon from Mr. Hyatt's uh, for deer hunting. Since 1976, there's been a dramatic decrease in the num- decrease in hunting. There were 100, 100 million guns in 76. There are 300 million guns now. Many of those guns have been the militarized and, and pistols that have gone into effect. Mr. Hyatt, like you, I'm a Vietnam veteran. I carried an M79 grenade launcher, an M60 machine gun, and an M16. 
nothing has happened in the 43 years since I left the military has, 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 has been a situation in which I could have used any of those weapons. However, in the last 43 years, on three separate occasions, I've had people pull pistols on me. And I'm much more worried about people who, who think that guns can do something, that they have an efficacy. In the same 43 years, I've had 11 clients or friends of mine who've either committed suicide or kids who were seven, seven teenagers in that period of time. So I'm in favor. I don't think when you, when you take, balance the risk, I don't think that guns have much effect, you know, effect in changing things. And I do think that the risk to innocent citizens is really significant. So I'll okay. take that. That's great. Thanks. I think that's, that's a valid viewpoint. I don't know that we need to get a response on that. So let's go directly to you, sir. Okay. Um, my name is Garrett Austin. I'm a mechanical engineer. And I guess I'll direct my comments mainly at the, uh, the legislator here is that I hope that you will look at data before you make decisions. And I'd like to say the people that are advocates for gun control, I think really most of you want to see the same things as people that are advocates against gun control is we'd all like to see reduced violence. But what I'd like to do is cut through some of these uh, false preclusions that the United States has a huge violence problem. Now, that chart that was up there, I've studied that because I've seen it. And the only way you can get a cherry-picked chart that makes the United States come out that way is to do an extreme amount of statistical cherry-picking. And I've looked at all the data, and anybody can look at this on Wikipedia. There's 204 nations, and they ranked them by intentional homicide rate. The United States is 100th. Now, if you compare that against the amount of legal gun ownership and just the number of guns in the United States, we're 88 per 100 people. That's not even number one. It's head and shoulders above number one. The closest second is Yemen at 54, and then everybody else drops down into the 30s. So here's gun ownership. Here's, you know, intentional homicides. We're middle of the pack. So it's obviously not arms that has the biggest relation to the homicide rate of any given nation. Now, if you still think the United States has a crime problem, then just look at the data inside the United States and where is this crime happening? And it happens in the places where arms are most restricted. Large cities like Los Angeles, Chicago, Newark, New, New Jersey, and... Los Angeles, New York City, they tend to lead the pack in where, whether you categorize it as just violence, murder, or gun violence, which I disagree that should be separated from any other kind of violence. You know, if you're dead, you're dead. It doesn't really matter how you got there. I don't see the correlation anywhere in the argument for more gun control is going to help our violence problem. And I just want to see everybody look at that data before they try and make decisions, because I think we all want the same thing. It's less violence, but everybody who's supporting or actually is against gun control has looked at the data and realized, you know, this is not going to make it better. It's going to make it worse. Great. Thank you. Yes. Uh, my name is Amanda. Um, gun owner for fairly recently. Um, I was wondering about something. I've noticed, I'm not you both are very knowledgeable and very much, you know, very reasonable in your views. And it's my perception anyway that on a national level, you are in the minority. Um, <laughs> and I wonder, first of all, why there are, I guess, more moderate gun voices or 
more moderate voices in the gun debate on a national level, like what your thoughts are on that, particularly since it seems like the most reasonable gun control policy could come from both sides coming together, like particularly knowledgeable people, people who are knowledgeable about guns can say, you know, well, this is really not practical or, you know, this doesn't really make sense. And people who are more knowledgeable about policy can say, well, this is what we can and can't do. So I would like to know your thoughts on that. Uh, well, let, that, yeah. let me, uh, that's why at the beginning, right after Newtown, uh, we put together a task force that consisted of people who were perceived to be active gun proponents, people from cities, people from, um, who, uh, people who were perceived to be um, opponents of gun control, and uh, uh, out of that, um, um, a series of meetings, discussions, uh, outside the public limelight, 15 principles were developed. And, uh, and I think they are reasonable principles. Um, um, that doesn't necessarily mean that all of them will be adopted, uh, but I think they are reasonable. So there are reasonable discussions taking place. Now, whether they get reflected in legislation, uh, I can't tell you. Um, uh, the gentleman who was just up talking about uh, research, uh, one, of the, one of the proposals is to do away with something called the Dickey Rule, which says that you can't, uh, the Centers for Disease Control can't even uh, use any funds to, to, um, to, to, to do research, right? Um, I mean, I think that's stupid, okay? Uh, I mean, my wife told me to quit using that phrase, but uh, uh, I mean, you know, who who would ever think that we should prohibit um, uh, uh, the collection of information that would help us make good decisions? And, um, and that's that's what I'm about to do right now. I'm about to pro prohibit us from uh, from getting more information uh, for making good decisions. Um, because we've, we've hit our hard stop time. I, I'm so sorry. I wish we, we, we could get to everybody else's questions. Um, but I just want to thank everybody. Let's, let's give a round of applause to our panelists here. Yeah.